Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for family-first entrepreneurs building profitable and progressive businesses. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Meg Brunson, and my pronouns are she, her. Before we get started, I want to remind you that this podcast episode isn't going to change a thing in your business unless you take action. And the best way to follow through is by joining us inside of the Familypreneur Business Accelerator. It's where we work, win, celebrate, and grow together. Head over to familypreneur.co to join us today. All right, let's do this. Hello, familypreneurs. Thank you for joining me on another episode. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Brianne Leeson. We are going to be talking about autistic brains, squashing stereotypes, and speaking the language with Brianne. We're going to go through what autism actually means, how to understand and appreciate the way that autistic brains work, and more. Brianne is a writer and artist and a voice actor from Dallas, Texas. She is the writer of the queer supernatural comedy audio drama, Today's Lucky Winner. After she was diagnosed as autistic and ADHD at 30, she became fascinated with evaluating the ableism she has experienced daily before she knew that it was ableism. Combining her passion for social justice, a linguistics degree, and experience as a sensitivity editor for fiction writers, she's become a passionate advocate for helping people better understand the beauty and nuances of autistic brains. And I feel very grateful and lucky that we have you with us today. Thanks, Brianne. Now, I'd love to just start with a quick discussion about your podcast. I have to be honest, I'm not an audio drama listener. So I'd love for you to just introduce us to the podcast, what it's kind of like to listen. Is it like watching Netflix, like a show on Netflix? Tell me a little bit about the podcast. It actually has an autistic main character and a main character with ADHD. Like I made sure I named it after I learned that I had sort of sublimated two parts of my personality into those characters. Um, but yeah, it is, it is all of the parts of like listening or like watching a show. Um, but it, it's got sound effects, background music. We have a composer who works on the show to do stuff. Um, we have a full cast of voice actors. Um, it's, uh, comedy. It's got vampires and, uh, shape-shifting demons and, lots of spoofs of different TV shows. And um, I voice uh, a Grim Reaper on the show as one awesome. of the main characters I voice, but it's lots of fun. And it's most, it's geared for adults, correct? It, very much for adults. Yes, very much. <laughs> like not, not family friendly. It is, I earned that explicit tag. Just think we have a lot of parents listening. So just to make sure, because I instantly think, oh, my kids would love yes, that. Yes. But possibly give it a listen first. Before. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, I think one of the prevailing comparisons we get is like uh, Stoner Buffy. So um, 
if that gives you some sort of idea, like raunchy stoner Buffy. So <laughs> that's awesome. It brings me back, brings me back. <laughs> Let's talk about now. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of being diagnosed at 30? I know for me, I'm a little bit older than 30, a little bit. Um, but I've had some questions about whether I have ADHD. Like that's something that has, has come up a lot in the past years. I've never gotten a formal diagnosis. You went through those steps though and, and did the formal diagnosis. I'd love to just hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So at the beginning of the pandemic, um, with my routine in shambles, which was my number one coping mechanism for both, um, I started sort of behaving in ways that I didn't really uh, understand. And I couldn't focus on a lot of stuff. Uh, so I, I started looking into like, why am I behaving this way? Like what, what is happening? Um, and in talking with my therapist, I was like, I, I think I might have ADHD. Um, and that was a hard process to, to get going because the very first doctor that I spent all the time and the money to talk to, um, said, Hey, I think you're just depressed. Try this medication that you've been on before and had no luck with. Um, and then finally I, after that one, I was really discouraged, but then one of my partners started looking up more doctors and I finally found one to do the full assessment. And they said, yeah, you, you very clearly have ADHD. You just have sort of inadvertently done a lot of things in your life to help work around it and cope with it. And now lots of those things have kind of fallen apart. So of course it's more of an issue now. So the ADHD diagnosis, um, I, I choose to be on medication because it, it does help. And being on medication for my ADHD actually does help with my autism and help me cope with stuff. Um, but um, I got an official diagnosis for that just because I wanted access to be able to get those uh, medical resources. Um, but even after the ADHD diagnosis, there are some parts of how I was behaving that just hadn't been answered. Um, so I researched more and that led me to finding some things that made me go, oh, I think I'm, I think I might be autistic. And it was learning things that were different from the stereotype um, that really sort of shook the foundation of what I knew about myself because like one of my early jobs was nannying autistic kids um, because I was just good with them for some reason. Um, and I thought autism looked one specific way. So it was really learning that autistic people are as diverse as holistic people, which is, which just means not autistic people that, uh, really started that process. Um, and I chose to get an official diagnosis for autism and there are really, there are a lot of hurdles to that. Um, and there are a lot of reasons someone might not want an official diagnosis on their medical records. Um, so I think for anyone who is questioning the autism part of that, do evaluate whether or not an official diagnosis is really something that A, you need and B, is safe for you to get. That makes sense. I, I appreciate that breakdown. Um, and it's good things, good things to think about as you're going through that process of figuring out whether that's something you want to pursue. Mm -hmm. 
Now, what are some of the, we talked about, you mentioned stereotypes and I know Mm -hmm. I was raised with a lot of stereotypes that have since there've been holes poked in it. So can we talk about some of the stereotypes that Mm -hmm. we have, those common assumptions, and then some of the dispelling of that, what, what the reality is? I think the biggest assumption is that the autism spectrum is uh, something that everyone is on. Because I've, uh, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard someone say, I think we're all a little bit autistic, but that's not how the spectrum works. You either have an autistic brain or you don't have an autistic brain. And the spectrum actually refers to all of our autistic traits. It's more of like a little pie circle chart. And for each of our traits, it shows which end of the spectrum of that trait that we kind of fall on, whether it's repetitive behaviors or social differences or communication differences or routines and rituals. We all have our own mix of that to different degrees. And that's the spectrum. Um, And very much in uh, research and diagnosis of autism, it is centered around a cishet white child who is assumed to be male. And that is deeply problematic because that is one view of what autism might look like in specific presentations. Um, And it ignores anyone who isn't white, who isn't cis, who isn't male. And autistic people are six times more likely to be transgender too. So it's we're 70% of us are under the LGBTQIA umbrella. Um, so there are a large number of us who are not those cishet white boys who later in life go, oh, I was missed because the actual tests they use to determine whether or not you're autistic didn't account for anyone like me. So I think people have an assumption that you are either um, autistic and carry an intellectual disability as well, which is the truth for a lot of people. Um, But I think a lot of people assume that it must come with an intellectual disability. And that's the people who, who generally get labored as labeled as severely autistic, Mm -hmm. which is, it's not a, it's not a thing. Like I am just as autistic as someone's, you know, cousin who also has an intellectual disability. It's just, they also have an intellectual disability. Um, So if you don't fall into that category or you don't fall into the rain man, love on the spectrum stereotype sort of thing where I'm great at counting cards or something like I suck at math. Like if you, if you fall anywhere between those, I think you kind of, you kind of get ignored. And a lot of people assume you must not really be autistic. In your research, have you found that it's getting better for like, for like our children, for children currently than it was for people like you and I who are in our thirties as I know the medical community clearly, we can talk about that too, clearly has some, some issues with the way that they approach autism and, and other diagnoses even, but is it getting better? Is it easier for, for those non cis boys, white boys to get diagnoses now, or is that still a challenge for our children? I think it's not nearly the challenge it was simply because people are recognizing their gaps. Um, There's actually research now looking at like, hey, lots of this diagnostic criteria is also very um, Eurocentric. So 
uh, some countries, it's rude to make eye contact and differences in eye contact are on the diagnostic criteria here. So how would that look for someone who's from a different culture? So I think it's also broadening to say, like, our diagnostic criteria is a very narrow view. And I think uh, I think it is more recognized in children. Um, it's definitely not where it needs to be. Like it's not, but the reason, uh, the reason a lot of the hate groups call it an autism epidemic and say that it's getting worse and thinking more people are becoming autistic is simply because more people who are autistic anyway are getting, an, getting diagnosed. It's not that there are more of us, it's that more of us are getting recognized. So that's why autism consistently looks like there are more and more autistic people. Well, you've always been here. You're just recognizing more of us now. I can't even... <laughs> the fact that there are hate groups, that that even is, is shocking to me. But once you said that and once you broke it down, like I recall hearing things like that from, from people who use autism like to fuel how they feel about vaccines and, and other things. Yeah, and like I'll... I'll go ahead and say it. Autism Speaks looks like a charity to the outsider, um, but they're not, they have a few autistic people they have hired since they've been critiqued about not having autistic people on the board, but their main goal is to find the gene for autism and to be able to like test for autism in utero, which is they, they want eugenics, quite frankly. And, they want to find a cure for us when it's labeled as a disorder, but it's, it's not, it's just a type of person. And it's, we have a harder time in certain environments, but we've always existed. And autism speaks had a commercial that compared us to cancer um, said we would ruin marriages said that autism would steal your child um, and just made it look like um we're a burden and most of their money goes to either making sure we don't exist anymore or uh, a therapy that basically it's a therapy from the person who invented conversion therapy for gay people um, to make us act like we're neurotypical. Which is disturbing and disgusting to even think about. And you mentioned this in another podcast I listened, you know, to where you you were um, guessing, but like it's not like autism isn't isn't the problem. The problem is how the neurotypical world perceives and interacts with autistic people. Did I get that right? Yeah, like there are certain things about the world that would be harder for me in general. Like there are certain things where being autistic would still make some things harder in general, but. I think a lot of my life would be made a lot easier and a lot of many autistic people's lives would be made a lot easier um, just because of the, if the neurotypical world made more of an effort and it's in such basic things like, um, like globally um, there is an 85% unemployment rate for autistic people with a university education. Um, and the vast majority who are in a job are um, what would be called underemployed. 
So for, for me, I have a degree in linguistics, but the social aspect and the politics of academia kept me from being able to even access the idea of going to go get my master's. And then trying to find a job in linguistics after that relies on a lot of social stuff. Like you had to be in good with someone who is a professor to get this TA job and you had to do this. So for me, after college, I ended up making more using my autistic special interest of comics, working at a comic book store. And my degree, I don't even know where it is, but <laughs> the reality is that our social differences and the fact that people won't meet us in the middle, that is possibly one of the hardest parts because it affects everything in your life. Many of our listeners are entrepreneurs. Some host podcasts, like like I'm doing, like this one. Um, what are some tips, some strategies that we can start to implement or, or practice that would help us be more inclusive towards autistic people in the autistic population, whether that's a potentially a podcast guest or um, a contractor or somebody that we want to work with on our team. Yeah, I think, I think one big thing, um, is don't assume the worst. Um, they have done studies where they've showed holistic people, um, autistic people. And before even speaking to us, um, the people decided they didn't like us. Um, and a lot of that is based on this sort of structure of ableism that um, holistic people tend to quickly filter things through stereotypes and social constructs they know. And a lot of our behavior just puts up red flags. And rather than taking a second to say, hey, is this really a red flag that this isn't a good person? Or am I looking at characteristics of a disabled person and making a snap judgment? And that's called a thin slice judgment. So um, that goes into communication too. So I'm very, I'm quite literal. I'm actively manually choosing each word I say. I don't use subtext. But in the workplace a lot, um, and anywhere really, subtext gets added for us where there was none. And people make assumptions. Um, so I think just challenging like, has this person said something rude or have I perceived it as rude? Um, I think learning to stop and pause and manually evaluate um, interactions with autistic people would go a long way because like, I'm like, I'm masking because I, at this point, can't totally turn it off um, all of the time, uh, but I have to manually add tone to my voice. Um, I have to tell myself to make certain facial expressions, um, that are deemed appropriate. Um, I don't, for some autistic people, eye contact is like painful for me. It's uncomfortable because it feels like someone's seeing me naked. I think that's the closest comparison. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> um, but we, we have to force ourselves to do this stuff, um, during work stuff and masking is directly linked to our, um, high rate of self-harm, like self-harm is our second leading cause of death. Um, and if more people went a longer way to just understand 
how we communicate and not make snap judgments and not assume what we mean by our face. Um, I think that would go a long way just to be understood. Um, sticking with plans like um, changing plans last second is super disruptive to a lot of autistic people. Um, I think being comfortable with having someone ask you questions. I don't know how many workplaces I've been in where I have asked a question after I've been given a task and I've been met with hostility because it assume, they've assumed like I'm challenging them or that I'm saying the thing they're asking me to do is wrong. Um, but I need the full context of something. I need to know why I'm doing it so I can figure out the details in my head because my brain will not filter out, well, this is the one way I'm going to do it. I am, I'm thinking of all these variables unintentionally and asking questions is how I'm making sure I'm doing it the right way. Um, and I think one thing that some people might find pretty controversial, but I think it would help a lot of autistic people is if you're looking to hire someone for something, uh, consider sending your interview questions ahead of time because even questions, it takes me longer to process what's actually being asked um, because when people, when holistic people ask questions, I think, I think holistic people would be quite surprised how often they're not actually asking the thing they're asking. Um, and I don't know how many times someone said, oh, I wasn't really asking you that I was asking you this. So being able to look at questions ahead of time and being able to say, oh, I think this is what this person's asking gives the time to process and come up with a genuine answer. It's not that autistic people don't know or have to make something up. We, we process things differently. Um, and verbal communication differences are one of the spectrum traits. So um, it's, it's a, an immense help. Um, I, I can't speak for every autistic person, but I know I communicate much better over email like phone calls, I full body reject because I can't see the person's face. Um, and I have to manually look to say, oh, they're making this face. They could be feeling this way. I don't have all the data I, I need to really understand the conversation well. Um, and written communication helps give me more time to process and edit and ask questions. Um, and really, those are the, the cursory things. I think just not assuming the worst and learning our communication. And also someone doesn't have to disclose to you that they're autistic for you to recognize those traits and realize, okay, maybe this person needs this sort of communication. Because I think when you learn to recognize those traits, you're going to start recognizing just how many people you meet every day who have them. And I think it, I think it just makes us much more compassionate people to recognize like, oh, this person would be better served if I did this. Right. So people don't need to have a label. You don't need to have justification to be kind and patient and open-minded. Now, I do have a yeah, quick question. And I, oh, I apologize. Yeah. There's a little lag. Um, I, before we continue, I just want to get some clarification. You're saying holistic. Is that, is that a word? Holistic. A-A-A-L-L-I-S-T-I-C. Okay. And can you def define that for me so that I can make sure I'm understanding it correctly? Holistic just means not autistic. 
Um, so someone with ADHD would be neurodivergent, but they would be allistic, meaning they're not autistic. Hearing that response to like what we can do, if you're watching the video, you probably caught a face of mine because I'm like, oh, I should have, as a podcaster, providing questions ahead of time would have been a way for, that I could have helped you better prepare. And not just you, but all guests, right? Like that would be, that's one way that a podcaster could potentially make an interview easier. Yeah. And like, for me, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my, uh, my communication set, I, um, verbal communication was not always the easiest for me. I, one of the reasons I kind of led, I was led to autism, um, was learning about hyperlexia. So it just means I started reading far too early and had a fascination with words and stuff. Um, but I got better at verbal communication and I also got a linguistics degree, which made it easier for me. But for a lot of autistic people, it's, it is very much challenge. And like, I have to manually go in my brain and try to choose the exact word I want when most people say, oh, well, I'm getting the basic idea across. So getting things ahead of time. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, but I want a natural conversation. Um, natural conversation is different for autistic people. It just is. Um, and there's nothing unnatural because we naturally script conversations. So if I know I'm about to have to go do something in the background, like a program running in the background, my brain starts going. So if I go here, I say this. And if they say this, I say that. But if they say this, I'm going to change to this response. So I have a flow chart of scripts for everything that I do on a regular basis. Um, and that is part of masking, but it's part of how we manage to communicate. So giving questions ahead of time, is not going to make a conversation any more or less natural? We're just, we're prepared. And just in case I'm familiar with the term masking, but just in case people aren't, that's trying to fit in, right? So masking gets used for, uh, by a lot of neurodivergent group, like people under the neurodivergent umbrella. But I think there should be a, a really big distinction because it originated as autistic masking. And autistic masking is hiding our autistic traits um, including like stems and stuff, um, to a degree where it, like there was a recent study that said intense masking, and I forget the metric they use, but can take 14 years off of our life. Like it's directly linked to our suicide rate. And we will go so far as to, um, for me, a lot of it is just hiding discomfort. So I thought everyone was miserable when they ate at a restaurant. And it's just hiding that discomfort. Um, it's adding tone to my voice. It's forcing myself to make eye contact. It's making sure I'm making the right face, um, trying to hold my body in a certain way, making myself smile at things. Um, I go access these scripts in my head. Um, and there are a lot of people who mask so hard, they mimic um, TV characters or fictional characters, because people like that person, they think that person's okay. And that's, that's what you do. So there are autistic people who have no sense of identity by the time they're late, like for late diagnosed people have no sense of identity, because we have to mask and it's especially insidious, because BIPOC autistic people have to mask more than white autistic people. 
because um, autistic people are more likely to be victims of police violence. Um, and also, of course, BIPOC folks are. So when you're at the intersection of both of those identities, um, you can't hide the color of your skin, but you can try to hide that you're autistic. So it's, it's hard because we all have to do it to different degrees and not all of us can do it. Like it's very much a privilege to be able to, and I know it's open doors for me that wouldn't have been open otherwise. But if someone can provide a safe space where we can let that mask down a little, that is taking such strain off of us um, just to be able to relax some. Um, for me, sometimes like I have autistic meltdowns and autistic shutdowns sometimes. And sometimes that's just suppressing a meltdown, which is a, which is a neurological event where my brain has said I've had too much. But when you're masking for your own safety, it gets perceived as violent behavior. So your brain says, mm, save it for later. And that can sublimate into a bunch of other mental health problems because we're not letting those things out when we're uncomfortable. So masking for autistic people is is a much different animal than it, it gets talked about for other neurodivergent groups. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's a, unfortunately a necessary evil to survive in this world for us to differing degrees. But, um, if you can provide a safe, if you can be someone that's safe for an autistic person to communicate with and just simply ask questions and admit when something's confusing, you'll be helping. You'll be helping a lot. That's great to know. I really appreciate your your willingness to be vulnerable to share all of this information with us. I I just appreciate you putting yourself out there and helping in, in a way to help. Yeah, us holistic people. I'm going to use my new word of the day to um, to be more open and accepting and compassionate, so that we can hopefully make the world a better place for everybody. Yeah, thank you. No, I think I think I I like talking about it and I've had people message me going, Hey, I'm I'm actually seeking an autism diagnosis now because I didn't know everyone didn't operate that way. So I I also think if the way I described how I operate resonates to anyone, um go do some research. Like go do some research for yourself. Yeah. Having those answers like now I can't remember. Isn't this awful? I can't remember if you mentioned it in this episode or in another one because I've listened to a few of yours. But like having those answers has helped you to understand why your brain works and make sense out of things. So you no longer feel like, I think you called it broken. Yeah, because it's like I was trying to use just the owner's manual to something that I'm not like a Jeep to to operate and it's like oh by the way you're not a jeep you're a vespa that's why this didn't work and i'm like oh okay well now i know now i have the language and the access to the information i need to know how to take care of myself and just having access to that language i think can help people quite a bit and to be more compassionate with yourself and know like hey there's nothing wrong with you you were just you're on a different operating system i love that example i love that example now, where can our listeners, obviously they can find your podcast wherever they're listening to this podcast, they'll likely be able to find your podcast, Today's mm -hmm. Lucky Winner. Where can people connect with you if they want to learn more or, or continue this conversation with you? 
Yeah. Um, on Twitter, my handle is um, at Hot Sauce Ghost. Um, and on Instagram, it's uh, Brianne underscore Leeson. Perfect. Again, I want to thank you so much for being here. I enjoyed this conversation a ton. And I hope yeah. that it opens the eyes, the ears of our listeners and our viewers um, to change the way that we're we're showing up in the world and what we're expecting of other people, regardless of what labels they may or may not come to us with. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Action steps from this episode alongside an incredibly supportive community. Plus, access our robust training vault and a variety of exclusive monthly virtual events, including co-working, happy hours, and bonus training sessions. Head over to familypreneur.co and join us today. Until next time, I'll see you over in the Familypreneur Business Accelerator. Bye for now.